Chapter 14 of The Art of Cross-Examination by Francis Wellman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14, The Cross-Examination of Jeremiah Smith by Sir Alexander Cockburn in the William Palmer case. It was the cross-examination of a Birmingham attorney named Jeremiah Smith by Sir Alexander Cockburn, then Attorney General and afterward Chief Justice of England, in the celebrated trial of William Palmer for taking the life of John Parsons Cook by poison, that finally turned the tide in this closely contested case against the prisoner and resulted in his conviction and execution. An observer of such long experience as Mr. Justice Stevens said of this cross-examination that, quote, it was something to be heard and seen, but incapable of being described, unquote. William Palmer, at the time of his trial, was 31 years old. He was a physician by profession, but had, for several years prior to his trial, given up the active practice of medicine and had devoted all his time to the turf. His victim, John Parsons Cook, was also a young man of decent family, originally intended for the profession of the law, but after inheriting some 15,000 pounds, also betook himself to the turf. He kept racehorses and bedded considerably, and in the course of his operations became intimate with Palmer. At the time of his acquaintance with Cook, Palmer had become involved financially through forging the name of his mother, a woman of considerable property, as endorser of his notes. These endorsements amounted to the sum of £13,000. He had effected an insurance upon the life of his wife, for £13,000, and the policies of insurance he had given as collateral on the forged notes. Upon the death of his wife, he was enabled to pay off the first notes, but shortly issued fresh ones, to the tune of £12,500, had them discounted at the rate of 60%, and gave as new collateral policies of insurance of an equal amount upon his brother's life which policies had been assigned to himself. Upon his brother's death, there being a year's interim between the death of his wife and brother, the companies in which the insurance had been affected declined to pay, and Palmer found himself confronted with suits upon these forged notes and the exposure of his forgeries. It was for the supposed intention of getting possession of Cook's money and racehorses that he took the life of his intimate companion. The trial was held in the Central Criminal Court, London, May 14, 1856, Lord Campbell presiding, and has ever since maintained its reputation as being one of the most learned trials in the history of the criminal courts of the world. H. D. Trail, in the English Illustrated Magazine, gives a most graphic account of the incidents during the cross-examination of Jeremiah Smith. Quote, it was the riding that did it, exclaimed one of the greatest criminals of the century, in extorted admiration of the skill with which one of the greatest advocates of the century had brought justice in a winner by a short head in one of the century's greatest trials. Sir Alexander Cockburn is said to have been more proud of this tribute from the eminent sportsman and poisoner whom he hunted to the gallows post 
than of any other of the many triumphs of his brilliant career, and undoubtedly it has all the ring of one of those utterances which come straight from the heart and attest their source by taking shape in the form of words most familiar to the speaker's lips. There is plenty of evidence to the critical attention with which Mr. William Palmer observed the jockeyship of the attorney in driving that terribly exciting race for life. Quote, there exists, or existed once, a slip of paper about six inches long by an inch broad, just such a slip, in fact, as a man might tear irregularly off the top of a sheet of fool's cap, which bears this calm and matter-of-fact legend, more impressive than the most impassioned prose. Quote, I suppose you think that the last witness did harm, unquote. It is one of those notes which Palmer subscribed from time to time and turned over to his counsel to read and, if necessary, reply to. There is no sign of trembling in the hand that wrote it. Yet it was written, this one, just at the close of Sir Alexander Cockburn's memorable cross-examination. It was the conviction of the expert section of the audience that when the Attorney General resumed his seat, the halter was knotted around the neck of the prisoner too firmly to be loosed. There is little doubt that the doomed wretch read as much in the face of his counsel and that the outward indifference of the hastily penned inquiry which he flung across to them must have caused a silent agony of doubt and dread. Palmer, of course, was not as well accustomed to observe the manners of the presiding judge as were the professional spectators of the scene, but if so, he would have drawn the worst possible augury from Lord Campbell's increasing politeness to him after this incident in the trial, a form of demeanor toward a prisoner which always indicated that, in that distinguished judge's opinion, his doom was certain. Yet the cross-examination of Mr. Smith, important as its consequences are said to have been, might easily be quoted as a very doubtful illustration of the value of this formidable engine for the extraction, or supposed extraction, of the truth. Its effect upon the witness himself left nothing to be desired from the point of view of the operator. No abbreviation, in fact, can give the effect of it. The witness's efforts to gain time, and his distress as the various answers were extorted from him by degrees, may be faintly traced in the report. His face was covered with sweat, and the papers put into his hands shook and rustled. These papers, it must be admitted, were some of them of a sufficiently agitating character. Mr. Smith had had to confess with great reluctance that he had witnessed the assignment of a policy for £13,000 by Walter to William Palmer, who was suspected, and indeed as good as known, to have been guilty of murdering him. He had had to confess that he wrote to an office to effect an insurance for £10,000 on the life of a groom of Palmer's, in receipt of one pound a week as wages. He had been compelled to admit the self-impeachment of having tried, after Walter Palmer's death, to get his widow to give up her claim on the policy. The result was that Lord Campbell, in summing up, 
asked the jury whether they could believe a man who so disgraced himself in the witness box. The jury thought they couldn't, and they didn't. The witness, whose evidence was to the effect that Palmer was not at his victim's bedside, but some miles away, at a time when, on the theory of the prosecution, he was substituting poisonous drugs for the medicine supplied to the sick man by the doctor, was disbelieved. Yet it is nevertheless tolerably certain from other evidence of an unimpeachable kind that Jeremiah Smith was speaking the truth. Unquote. The text of the cross-examination that follows is taken from the unabridged edition of the Times' Report of the Trial of William Palmer, containing the shorthand notes taken from day to day and published in London in 1856. Attorney General, are you the gentleman who took Mr. Myatt to Stafford Gale? Smith, I am. Attorney General, have you known Palmer long? Smith, I've known him long and very intimately and have been employed a good deal as an attorney by Palmer and his family. Attorney General. In December 1854, did he apply to you to attest a proposal of his brother, Walter Palmer, for 13,000 pounds in the Solicitors and General Insurance Office? Smith. I cannot recollect. If you will let me see the document, I will tell you. Attorney General. Will you swear that you were not applied to? Smith. I will not swear either that I was not applied to for that purpose or that I was. If you will let me see the document, I shall recognize my writing at once. Attorney General, in January 1855, were you applied to by Palmer to attest a proposal of his brother for 13,000 pounds in the Prince of Wales office? Smith, I don't recollect. Attorney General, don't recollect? Why, 13,000 pounds was a large sum for a man like Walter Palmer, wasn't it, who hadn't a shilling in the world? Smith. Oh, he had money, because I know that he lived, retired, and carried on no business. Attorney General. Didn't you know that he was an uncertified bankrupt? Smith. I know that he had been a bankrupt some years before, but I did not know that he was an uncertified bankrupt. I know that he had an allowance from his mother, but I do not know whether he had money from any other source. I believe that his brother William, the prisoner, gave him money at different times. Attorney General. Where in the course of 1854 and 1855 were you living? In Rugley? Smith. In 1854, I think I resided partly with William Palmer, and sometimes at his mother's. Attorney General. Did you sometimes sleep at his mother's? Smith. Yes. Attorney General. When you did that, where did you sleep? Smith. In a room. Attorney General. Did you sleep in his mother's room? On your oath, were you not intimate with her? You know well enough what I mean. Smith. I had no other intimacy, Mr. Attorney, than a proper intimacy. Attorney General. How often did you sleep at her house, having an establishment of your own at Rugley? Smith. Frequently? Two or three times a week? Attorney General. Are you a single or a married man? Smith. A single man? Attorney General. How long did that practice of sleeping two or three times a week at Mrs. Palmer's continue? 
Smith. For several years. Attorney General. Had you your own lodgings at Rugeley at the time? Smith. Yes, all the time. Attorney General. How far were your lodgings from Mrs. Palmer's house? Smith. I should say nearly quarter of a mile. Attorney General. Explain how it happened that you, having your own place of abode within a quarter of a mile, slept two or three times a week at Mrs. Palmer's. Smith. Sometimes her son Joseph or other members of her family were on a visit to her, and, and I went to see them. Attorney General. And when you went to see those members of her family, was it too far for you to return a quarter of a mile in the evening? Smith. Why, we used to play a game of cards and have a glass of gin and water and smoke a pipe, perhaps, and then they said, it is late, you had better stop all night. And I did. There was no particular reason why I did not go home that I know of. Attorney General. Did that go on for three or four years? Smith. Yes. And I sometimes used to stop there when there was nobody there at all, when they were all away from home, the mother and all. Attorney General. And you have slept there when the sons were not there and the mother was? Smith. Yes. Attorney General. How often did that happen? Smith. Sometimes for two or three nights a week, for some months at a time, and then perhaps I would not go near the house for a month. Attorney General. What did you stop for on those nights when the sons were not there? There was no one to smoke and drink with then, and you might have gone home, might you not? Smith. Yes, but I did not. Attorney General. Do you mean to say on your oath that there was nothing but a proper intimacy between you and Mrs. Palmer? Smith. I do. Attorney General. Now we will turn to another subject. Were you called upon to attest another proposal for 13,000 pounds by Walter Palmer in the Universal Office? Smith. I cannot say. If you will let me see the proposal, I shall know. Attorney General. I ask you, sir, as an attorney and a man of business, whether you cannot tell me whether you were applied to by William Palmer to attest a proposal for an assurance for £13,000 on the life of Walter Palmer. Smith. I can say that I do not recollect it. If I could see any document on the subject, I dare say I should remember it. Attorney General. Do you remember getting a five-pound note for attesting an assignment by Walter Palmer to his brother of such a policy? Smith. Perhaps I might. I don't recollect positively. Attorney General handing a document to the witness. Is that your signature? Smith. It is very like my signature. Attorney General. Have you any doubt about it? Smith, after considerable hesitation. I have some doubt. Attorney General, read the document and tell me on your oath whether it is your signature. Smith, I have some doubt whether it is mine. Attorney General, read the document, sir. Was it prepared in your office? Smith, it was not. Attorney General, I will have an answer from you on your oath one way or another. Isn't that your handwriting?
Smith. I believe that it is not my handwriting. I think that it is a very clever imitation of it. Attorney General, will you swear that it is not? Smith, I will. I think that it is a very good imitation of my handwriting. Baron Alderson, did you ever make such an attestation? Smith, I don't recollect, my lord. Attorney General, look at the other signature there. Walter Palmer, is that his signature? Smith, I believe that is Walter Palmer's. Attorney General, look at the attestation and the words signed, sealed, and delivered. Are they in Mr. Pratt's handwriting? Smith, they are. Attorney General, did you receive that from Mr. Pratt? Smith, most likely I did, but I can't swear that I did. It might have been sent to William Palmer. Attorney General, did you receive it from William Palmer? Smith, I don't know. Very likely I did. Attorney General, did William Palmer give you that document? Smith, I have no doubt he did. Attorney General, if that be the document he gave you, and those are the signatures of Walter Palmer and of Pratt, is not the other signature yours? Smith, I'll tell you, Mr. Attorney. Attorney General, don't Mr. Attorney me, sir. Answer my question. Isn't that your handwriting? Smith, I believe it not to be. Attorney General, will you swear that it isn't? Smith, I believe that it is not. Attorney General, did you apply to the Midland County's Insurance Office in October 1855 to be appointed their agent at Rugley? Smith, I think I did. Attorney General, did you send them a proposal on the life of Bates for 10,000 pounds? You yourself, Smith. I did. Attorney General, did William Palmer apply to you to send that proposal? Smith. Bates and Palmer came together to my office with a prospectus and asked me if I knew whether there was any agent for that company in Rugley. I told him I'd never heard of one, and they then asked me if I would write and get the appointment because Bates wanted to raise some money. Attorney General, did you send to the Midland office and get appointed as their agent in Rugley in order to effect that £10,000 insurance on Bates's life? Smith, I did. Attorney General, was Bates at the time superintending William Palmer's stud and stables? Smith, he was. Attorney General, at a salary of £1 a week? Smith. I can't tell his salary. Attorney General, after that, did you go to the widow of Walter Palmer to get her to give up her claim on the policy of her husband? Smith. I did. Attorney General, where was she at that time? Smith. At Liverpool? Attorney General, did you receive a document from Pratt to take to her? Smith. William Palmer gave me one which had been directed to him. Attorney General, did the widow refuse? Smith. She said she should like her solicitor to see it, and I said, by all means. Attorney General, of course. Didn't she refuse to do it? 
Didn't you bring it back? Smith. I brought it back as I had no instructions to leave it. Attorney General. Didn't she say that she understood from her husband that the insurance was for 10,000 pounds? Mr. Sergeant, she objected to this question. What passed between the widow and witness could be no evidence against the prisoner. The Attorney General said that the question was intended to affect the credit of the witness, and with that view it was most important. The court ruled that the question could not be put. Attorney General. Do you know that Walter Palmer obtained nothing for making that assignment? Smith. I believe that he ultimately did get something for it? Attorney General. Don't you know that what he got was a bill for 200 pounds? Smith. Yes, and he had a house furnished for him. Attorney General. Don't you know that he got a bill for 200 pounds? Smith. Yes. Attorney General. And don't you know that that bill was never paid? Smith. No, I do not. Attorney General. Now, I'll refresh your memory a little with regard to those proposals, handing the witness a document. Look at that and tell me whether it is in your handwriting. Smith. It is? Attorney General. Refreshing your memory with that, I ask you, were you not applied to by William Palmer in December 1854 to attest a proposal on the life of his brother, Walter, for 13,000 pounds in the Solicitors and General Insurance Office? Smith. I might have been. Attorney General, were you or were you not, sir? Look at that document and say, have you any doubt upon the subject? Smith. I do not like to speak from memory with reference to such matters. Attorney General. No, but not speaking from memory in an abstract sense, but having your memory refreshed by a perusal of that document, have you any doubt that you were applied to? Smith. I have no doubt that I might have been applied to. Attorney General. Have you any doubt? that in January 1855 you were called on by William Palmer to attest another proposal for £13,000 on his brother's life in another office. Look at that document and tell me. Smith. I see the paper, but I don't know. I might have signed it in blank. Attorney General. Do you usually sign attestations of this nature in blank? Smith. I have some doubt whether I did not sign several of them in blank. Attorney General. On your oath, looking at that document, don't you know that William Palmer applied to you to attest that proposal upon his brother's life for 13,000 pounds? Smith. He did apply to me to attest proposals in some offices. Attorney General. Were they for large amounts? Smith. One was for 13,000 pounds. Attorney General. Were you applied to, to attest another for the like sum in the Universal Office? Smith. I might be. Attorney General. They were made much about the same time, were they not? You did not wait for the answers to come back to the first application before you made the second? Smith. 
I do not know that any answers were returned at all. Attorney General, will you swear that you were not present when Walter Palmer executed the deed assigning the policy upon his life to his brother, William Palmer? Now be careful, Mr. Smith, for depend upon it. You shall hear of this again if you are not. Smith, I will not swear that I was. I think I was not. I'm not quite positive. Very few of the answers to these questions of the Attorney General were given without considerable hesitation, and the witness appeared to labor under a sense of embarrassment, which left a decidedly unfavorable impression upon the minds of the audience. Attorney General, do you know that the 200-pound bill was given for the purpose of enabling William Palmer to make up a sum of 500 pounds? Smith. I believe it was not, for Cook received absolutely from me 200 pounds. If I'm not mistaken, he took it with him to Shrewsbury races, not the last races. Attorney General. In whose favor was the bill drawn? Smith. I think in favor of William Palmer. I don't know what became of it. I've never seen it since. I cannot state with certainty who saw me on the Monday, but I called at the Talbot Arms and went into Cook's room. One of the servants gave me a candle. As well as I can remember, the servant who did so was either Bond, Mills, or Lavinia Barnes. I can't say which. End of chapter 14.